Well, good morning again. If you weren't here in the beginning, my name is Brandon, uh, and we are in a uh, a series uh, in, through uh, walking through uh, this letter called First Timothy. Man, there are a lot of you fanning yourself out there. Uh, <laughs> I will do the best I can to not go long, but I make zero promises with or without AC. All right. Um, we we titled this series "Household of God," uh, and last week we said that inside this household, inside the household of God, there was this gospel identity that gets formed um, and fostered inside uh, this inside this house. And the rest of the letter uh, was going to be um, Paul to Timothy constructing the house. Right. So this week, uh, this week the house is going to start getting built, and we're going to lay the foundation of the house. And in the weeks to um, and in the weeks to come, we're going to build the structure uh, for the house. So let's get let's get started. A couple of days ago, uh, my kids and I we were in the car. Uh, my kids started singing. My son, his name's Easton. He's four, and he just started freelancing, which is never a good idea, by the way. I I have to train them in public. Don't freelance, please. I want them to think I'm a good parent, so don't don't do that. Um, so I'm not going to tell you what he was singing because you would think probably a bad parent. Um, and so I just said, hey, hey, buddy, uh, listen, man, we, we, don't, we don't sing those words. Uh, and Easton responded, uh, yeah, yeah, daddy, we do. Some songs have bad words in them. And then my, <laughs> so parent fail, all right? It's not like we listen to, I don't know, it's just, I don't know where they got it. We don't sing it. It's not a song. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. And then my daughter, uh, who's five, said, oh, brother, you know, good boys don't sing bad words. Only, only bad kids sing bad words. Also, something we didn't teach our kids. But here, here's what's happening. My my daughter is five, and already she has two categories of people: good people, bad people. That observation, that seemingly simple observation, has led to some of the most rich profound, culture-shaping observations and questions, philosophical questions of humanity. Questions like, who are we? The, the innate nature of humanity. Are we good? Are we bad? If we're bad, are we born that way? If we're good, are we born that way? What is humanity like? Who is humanity? This is a seemingly simple observation that at its core has some of the deepest philosophical questions about human life sitting underneath it. And humanity's response to those questions, humanity's efforts at having an answer, at a solution, is one reason, not the only reason, but one reason why religion exists. And here's what you're going to find. If you, if you stack every world religion on top of one another, you're going to find a common thread that runs through all of them. And here's the thread. I obey, and therefore I'm accepted. That's going to run through every world religion. I obey and therefore I'm accepted, right? Because it goes like this. Surely, um, if God exists, then he would accept the good people and reject the bad. And so I have to do enough good to overcome the bad so that God would accept me. That is the common thread. That's the central thesis that runs through every major world religion, except one. Except one. Christianity looks at this observation, looks at these questions, and has a completely different answer. The answer is one word, and the word is grace. The foundation of the house that Timothy is going to build, the, the basis of the house is grace. And he's going to say that if your house isn't built on grace, the structure doesn't matter. The foundation of the house is going to build 
is grace. So let's get into it. And I do promise not to go long. I will sweat more than you, I assure you. Verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now listen to verse 13. This is Paul talking about his past, right? So verse 12, uh, I'm called to the service of Christ. And now verse 12, talking about his past, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. So let's talk about Paul for a minute. Paul, Paul was this guy who, who was an apostle who wrote these, this sacred literature, these Christian scriptures that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years we would read and find life and encouragement and strength from. And Paul, before he did that, he called himself a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. This, this man in, in Acts 8, Acts 8, or leading up to Acts 8, you, you have Stephen. Stephen is this, this guy who was the first Christian martyr, the first man who was a Christian killed for being a Christian. And Acts 8.1 says this about Paul. It says in Saul, who would be renamed Paul later, Saul approved of his execution. And then uh, a chapter later in verse 9, it says, still breathing and murder, still uh, breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. That this is Paul. Paul was not a good man. Paul was not someone that I would... Um, in, in Acts 8, at least at this point, Paul is not someone that I would say to my son, hey, hey, son, you know what, man? I want you to go be like that guy. Like, I would never, I would never say to my son, hey, Easton, go be like Saul. Ever. And then Christ showed up. In a miraculous, unexpected, unexplained way, Christ showed up, grace landed on Paul. Paul wasn't looking for it. Paul was in route to go find more Christians to kill. That's the kind of man Paul was. And I will say this until I die or you fire me. Please don't fire me. There is no one in this room beyond the reach of the grace of God. No one. No one. No one. And listen to me. If we put your past on the screen, not behind me, they're over there. Don't y'all love this stuff right here? But if it was on that screen over there beyond that stuff, you would feel shame. And you know what? If, if my past was on that screen, you know what I would feel? Shame. In fact, if my present was on that screen, I would feel shame. I'm gonna, I'll talk more about this in a minute. My wife and I got in a fight on Monday. Monday morning. It was beautiful. Got in a fight. I walked out of the house. Went to staff meeting. Pretended like everything was happy days. It wasn't happy days. If there was a video camera in my house videoing that fight, I, and put it on the screen right now, I would be embarrassed. Listen, grace is for everyone. Everyone. Past, present, future. Grace is for you. There is no one in this room that grace cannot run down. And no matter the skeletons you have in your closet, and you have them. You have them, I have them. I've told you before, I'm not going to tell you about my college years. I want you to like me. Whatever skeletons you have in that closet, it is minor league compared to Paul. I think. If you've killed seven or eight people, let me know. It's minor league compared to Paul. 
minor league. That's Paul about his past. That's Paul talking about his past, a man that grace ran down. But I think what he says about his present is going to surprise you. Did me. Verse 13. Again, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but, best word in the Bible, but, but I received mercy. Stopping there, this is, this is a theological and practical foundation that Paul lays that will change your life. I received mercy. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, opponent, and passive verbs. I received mercy. Mercy, there is nothing in Paul that will ever say, I did enough good, I changed myself, I cleaned myself up. I think one of the, one of the biggest misconceptions about the gospel, about Christianity and about what we believe and who we are is, that, is this idea that you're supposed to clean yourself up and kind of get your life ready and then you come to Christ. A couple of years ago, I was talking to a bro- one of my brothers, not like a brother, like a, a brother, brother, uh, and not that y'all aren't brother brothers, but my biological brother is what I'm trying to say. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he said, yeah, I, th- I think my other brother, man, I think he, he, might be, uh, he might want to kind of become a Christian, but I just don't know that he's ready yet. Um, and underneath that is that there's ever going to be a time that you get ready. That's not how it works. There's not a t- you don't get ready and then come to Christ. Like Jesus just shows up in your life as you are where you are, the train wreck that you are. Christ is there for you. You don't fix the train and then get on the track. You just get on. He fixes it for you. Fixes it for you. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Because I had acted ignorantly, I received mercy. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The same grace that overflowed for Paul has overflowed for you. And I I know. I I, I know it's not I'm there too, right? It, it doesn't always feel like this grace is overflowing. Right? I look at Wednesday, I look at Monday for me, and it just doesn't always feel like grace is overflowing. And I, I, I think some of you need to hear again what you've heard before. That that, that God loves you because he loves you. Because he loves you. Why, why would he pour out grace on you? Because he did. And why would he love you? Because he loves you. And, but, but why? Well, because he does. And that's what you need to know. Like you need to know in the middle of your present jacked up life, he loves you. He loves you. Now verse 15, and what is just stunningly surprising to me. Verse 15. The saying is, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now here it is. Of whom I am the foremost. And here's why this is surprising. I am. Is that past tense, present tense, future tense. What are we talking here? I'll answer it for you. It's present tense. I know I might get the wrong answer. I'm just going to give it to you. It's present tense. That, that Paul, I was a sinner and I am a sinner profound humility of Paul is just overwhelming. And he's not he's not saying he's not he's not saying I'm I'm not better than you. He he's not even saying I'm better than I was. He's just saying that I'm a man who has received mercy. I'm a man under grace. 
That's all I have to offer. That's all I am. A man under grace. Paul had this incredible ability. If you read the scriptures and you read throughout them and you, you trace Paul, especially when he talks about his life, he has this incredible ability to look at his past, to look at his present, and to be transparent about it, and yet do it through this lens of grace. And I think that Paul, I think that Paul, if he were here, he would say, if he had this mic on, he would say, listen, stop, stop using your past to run from grace today. And, and then he would also say, stop using your present to run from grace today. Stop using your past, stop using your present to run from grace today. I was a sinner, I am a sinner, I'm a man who has received mercy. That's what Paul would cry, and I think that's what he wants you to cry. Martin Luther, not, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, famous theologian, summarized it like this. He said the Christian is simultaneously saint and sinner. Simultaneously saint and sinner. So let's talk, let's talk neighborhood parishes. Neighborhood parishes. When we gather on Sundays and then we go out the rest of the week and we gather together on Sundays, um, we uh, are Wednesday or Tuesday or Sunday afternoon, whenever your parish gathers, when we gather in these neighborhood parishes, that's where this saint and sinner is getting fleshed out in real life. And it's why it's incredibly important that you would follow Paul's example and be honest and transparent about who you are and where you are. That you would lay your life bare before one another so that you are holding the real you up, saying, God, change me. Not holding up this illusionary you, saying, God, change the illusionary me. This was, this was Paul, incredibly transparent, incredibly humble about who he was. And often, I think, um, myself included, we, we play this little halfway game where we're kind of halfway out there with us. And so, an example, Monday, my wife and I, we, uh, we get in this fight. And then on Wednesday, we're um, at our parish gathering, and, and, and we're sitting outside the men around this table, um, and, and we're saying, hey, have you been? How was your week? Yada. And I said, well, man, and I got in this fight on Monday. Uh, our parish leader, the SEALs, already knew about it. Uh, and then uh, and it was kind of this awkward silence. And so when I feel uncomfortable, I crack jokes. It's what I do. Uh, and so I just made a joke, right, about, well, she was wrong. I was right. Obviously, we all know that, right? And so I... Um, it's not true. I was, it was 60, 40. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. 50, 50. Um, uh, and so I uh, see there it is again, right? No, I, uh, and so I cracked this joke and, uh, and, and then I, and, but, but here's why. And here it's at the table around the table with those men. Here's why I cracked the joke. Because the truth is I don't really want to be fully in the light. I don't really want to be fully in the light. I tell you I want to be. I tell you I want you to be. But in real life, I really don't. In real life, I want to be a foot in, a foot out. I want to play the halfway game. And I have to bring that halfway game day in and day out before the Lord and say, crush this. Because here's why. The, both feet in, both feet in, it, it leads to embarrassment, shame, that's what, I mean, every time, every time. But both feet in, having that embarrassment and that shame get brought up before the Lord is how it gets healed. It's where healing comes from in your life. The halfway game, you will always run to the foot out. There is a much stronger pull to the foot out than the foot in. Stop 
playing the halfway game, and I'm not talking to you, I'm preaching to me. Back in verse 15, he he said where this grace comes from, it's an overwhelming amount of grace. And verse 15 could be the thesis statement for the Bible. It says grace that Paul has said to Timothy that's for everyone regardless of past, regardless of background, regardless of who you are or where you came from. He now moves and gives. This is what the grace is, where it came from. Verse 15, what could be the thesis statement for the Bible, the saying is trustworthy and true, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And Christ, who eternally existed as the second person in the Godhead, would leave the presence of the Father to come from heaven to earth so that he who was only a saint would become a sinner on the cross so that we who are only sinners could become saints in him. He who was only a saint became a sinner on the cross so that we who are only sinners could become saints in him. And in the life and death of Jesus, he earned the favor of the Father for us that we would receive mercy and grace, not an earned grace, but an undeserved, unmerited grace and mercy from God through Christ. And here, here's what made Paul a blasphemer. Because he was a religious blasphemer, right? He wasn't an atheist. Right? He, he believed in God. But here's what made Paul a blasphemer. Paul believed that he had to earn his way to God. This is blasphemy. Blasphemy to defame or to mean the work of God. The work of Christ. The person of God. And when you believe, listen to me. When you believe that you have to earn your way to God, when you, when you come in here on Sundays and then you gather with your parish and you throw up a left hand in song, put a right hand on your heart, and you sing, I believe in Christ, I'm not mocking you, that's my position. And then you functionally live like you have to earn the grace of God. You are living like a functional blasphemer. When you say, I believe in Christ, but live like you have to earn grace, you are a functional blasphemer. Now, no one uh, would ever say, uh, that's me. Uh, I wouldn't say it. You wouldn't say it. None of us would say, um, I'm a functional blasphemer. Um, And so I want to ask you five questions, five pretty simple, pretty straightforward questions. Let you answer them, not out loud. You can if you want to, but probably by yourself would be better. Question one, when you think of your past, when you think of your past, do you feel mostly shame? Question two, when you think of your present, do you feel mostly shame? Three, do you think, why would I confess? It's not going to help it anyway. Four, when you stumble, does it lead you into despair? Five, When you stumble, do you only think of grace without grieving your sin? If you answered yes to any of those, and I suspect all of us did, I did. If you answer yes to any of those, then you have probably bought more into an earned grace than you realize. 
then you need your heart to be recaptured by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And the foundation of our house is grace. Grace that can't be earned. Grace that's bought for us by Christ. Grace that we receive through the one who came from heaven to earth to down the cross to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And now Paul um, takes a bit of a, a left turn in this little section and is going to give three examples of grace, three kind of real-life, fleshed-out examples of, uh, of grace that are, are going to serve as, as kind of the bedrock foundation in line of grace for the rest of the letter. It's kind of a launching point, if you will. So verse 16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul, his example of himself and the grace of redemption. And God was patient with Paul. God is patient with you. You can't outrun grace. The grace of redemption is Paul's first example and it's in himself. And the result of this redemption is glory and honor to God the Father through Christ the Son, who describes beautifully King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. Honor and glory forever and ever. And now the second example, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience. The second example is Timothy in the grace of the local church. Um, that This prophecy, if I could explain it by bringing out First Timothy 4, 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. By prophecy, it's the mechanism, not the means, it's not the source, but it's the means by which it passed through and happened. From the way one theologian said it, that this is from God, recognized by the church, and we'll get uh, more specific about this when we hit chapter 4. But for now, I want you to see this, that these prophecies that are spoken of uh, in chapter 1, chapter 4, uh, came through the local church. They came through the body, and the body of Christ, the local church, has two things. It has um, church members, and it has um, elders and overseers, and both are meant pastors, if that language makes more sense, um, and, and that, that they're meant to encourage, rebuke, train, equip, resource one another so that we might speak into one another's lives, so we might hold a good conscience and a sincere, well, holding faith and a good conscience that we might be sustained to this, that, that this local church, if, you, if you're wondering about the church, if you don't really know who we are and what this thing is, and you just know we come and we sit in this room and we sing and we talk, um, let me, let me kind of reteach a little bit about what the church is real quick. The church is not a building. It's not a place. Here's our language. The church is a people. It's a scripture's language. It's not our language. We didn't make this up. The church is a people. That I'm the church. You're the church. We live life together as the church. We don't come to the church. This is a beautiful Kind of beautiful. It's a it's a it's a building, right? It's an old building. Um, that's not the point. It, the church is a people. The church is a people. We are people who come together, who live life together. We we think church is family is the best, um, uh, the primary metaphor in the scriptures for who we are, and so we want to get dirty with life together, rub elbows together, live life together as a people, as a church family. 
that we would together sustain our faith, sustain our conscience. And now third example, and this one um, is not one that we're going to be so quickly drawn to. But he says, holding faith and a good conscience, verse 19, by rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Listen to this, how weighty is this next line? Whom I have handed over to Satan, they may learn not to blaspheme. Example three of grace, Hymenaeus and Alexander, the grace of discipline. Listen, I, I, I grew up in a different era, right? I'm 37, so, well, not a different era from some of you, uh, but a different era than most of you. Uh, and in my era, uh, the, the question wasn't like, do you spank or do you not spank? That wasn't a conversation. The question was, what do you spank with? How hard? And can the neighbors do it without you being present? Like that was the conversation. And the answer was usually yes to all of it, okay? And so when, when my dad, um, who's in here, when my dad pulled out the belt and I bent over, there was no point, no point where discipline felt like love. Like ever. Like I, I never um, had the belt come out, get, you know, thundered with the belt and stand up and think, you know, that felt loving. I, I bet he wants a hug right now. Like that, that never crossed my mind. Discipline in the moment always feels like punishment. It always feels like punishment. But it's meant for our good. That, that was a necessary component of my life growing up. If you've met my son, who is four, you understand he's a lot like me. Discipline is a necessary component of the Barker family. We need it. It was for my good. It didn't feel loving, but it was loving. And if I could parallel this to what's happening in 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read two verses. It says, it's actually reported that there is no sexual immorality among you, that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. That's verse 1. So pretty serious stuff. But verse 5, it says, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Listen, whether it was the, the, the man in Corinth or these two people that to, in, with, in Timothy, when you are set outside the church and you are handed over to Satan, it is not to be punishment. It is meant to be for your good. It is meant to be for the good of the person. The hope is always, re- it is always redemption and restoration. Always. Always. There is never a day where it's not meant to be redemptive. Always. If you, if you see someone who is wrecking their life, if you see someone who is ruining their life, who is running into sin, Live and let live is not a loving phrase to live by. It's not. Side note, no one believes it. It's also, no one believes it. To believe it, you have to think ISIS is okay. No one believes it. No one does. It is not loving to let them run into sin. It is not loving. It is the grace of God that Paul was setting these people out that they might learn not to blaspheme. That was the grace of God in their life. It is great. Listen, if you're on fire, if you're in here right now, listen to me, stop listening to anything else in the sermon. It, if you're in here right now, 
men, if you have a porn addiction in here right now, ladies, if you're having an emotional affair at work and you're on fire right now, scream, I'm on fire. Scream, I'm on fire and I need help. And now listen to me, the rest of you, if you see someone who's on fire, you scream for them. You don't sit silently and watch them burn. That is not loving. It is not grace to do that. Grace gets in the fire with them. Grace enters into the fire of life with them. It is not loving to sit there and do nothing. This is the difference in church membership and church attendance. So in membership, you, you have people in the fire with you. Attendance, you just have a sermon. And so you have the next one and the next one and the next one. Membership, you have this covenant family who you are in the fire with, who are in the fire with you. That's the difference. It's beautiful. And it's painful. And it's messy. And I've thought about telling you up front that this, this text actually works in reverse order for most of them. It starts out happy and gets really sad in the end. But I want you to feel the weight of this because here's what Paul is saying. Paul started out with this um, grace is for everyone. It can't run anyone down to it came through Christ who came in to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And then these three building examples of the grace of redemption that gets lived out inside the local church, the grace of the local church, who then this grace of redemption lived out in the church that gets kept by the grace of discipline. And so when we rebuke one another, we correct one another, we are helping one another be kept in the faith. It's what we do. It's what we do, and it's loving, and it's beautiful, and it's hard. And I don't ever want you to come and talk to me like that, but I need you to. I need you to. It's grace. It's loving grace. So to close, to wrap up, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Our gospel identity that comes by the grace of redemption gets fostered inside the grace of the local church that gets kept through the grace of discipline. And the foundation of our house, the foundation of our house, the bedrock with which we will build the structure on is the grace of God that came through Christ Jesus to redeem sinners of whom I am the foremost. Let's pray.